that off. So hopefully that's not a sign of what's to come. Um, man, I know Lexi just prayed. I want to pray. <laughs> I was already like bawling as we were singing there. Um, I'm not going to pray that. I'm not going to cry. But um, yeah, let's just pray. Jesus, uh, God, first I thank you for for all those kiddos that they're going to their classrooms, Lord, and they're going to hear about you. God, that's such a gift, Jesus, that these, these kids are going to hear truth about you today, Lord. And there are many people in this room that, man, they didn't have that as a kid. So we praise you, Lord, that these kids get that today. And I thank you for Harvest Kids this afternoon, that, that not only our kids, but some kids from the neighborhood are going to hear about you, Lord. And God, we pray that their heads wouldn't just be filled with knowledge and stories, but but truth about you, God, and that, that truth will change them forever, Lord. Um, God, would you reveal yourself to us today? Just as, as we're singing those songs, Lord, it's so easy for me to, to sing to you about how great your love is and how awesome the cross is and, and that I'm going to do all these things for you and yet not be blown away that you love me enough to die for me, that, that you didn't just forgive me, but you made me your son, Lord. I just don't want to take it for granted. I do not want to take it for granted how amazing you are, Lord. So, Father, would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our circumstances? I have no idea what brought every person here today, but there's stuff going on, Lord, and we need to hear from you. In your name, amen. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's read the passage together. It's going to be on the screen. Let's stand as we do that. <clears throat> and, and we stand just to acknowledge, like, how important God's word is, right? We're not just standing to because we do that every week, but we're standing in, in honor of of God's word that we're about to hear. Um, so let's read this, or let's read this. I'll read this to you, and you can listen. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved, as is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have, been, have now been disobedient Sorry. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of a side note, but I think it's important. Um, sometimes when we come to the Word, we read things that are hard. We read things that maybe don't sit well with us. We read things that maybe we wish weren't even true because they're that difficult to hear, okay? And I'm not saying what we're reading here is some of the hardest stuff in Scripture, but there are a couple things that at least maybe the first time you read it, the first few times you read it and go, oh, that, that is tough. Um, if you're just joining us today, and we've been going through Romans for, for quite some time, I think since like January, um, 
and we read that, that God chose Israel. And if you don't know the, the whole story of Scripture, why, why, God, do you, did you choose this, this, this certain people? Why is, is there a special people? Um, I think Alex has a slide of Deuteronomy 7, 6. Um, and it says this. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And we could read that and just feel like, why is God playing favorites? Why did he choose this, this special holy nation? He, he, it, and it's him that makes them holy. It, it, he, he makes them his treasured possession. Let's look at First uh, Peter um, 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, right? So, so it's not that God just chose this, this people, but there's a purpose for this people. Uh, Genesis 12.3, let's pull that up. And this is uh, God's words to Abram, who later becomes Abraham. Um, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And this is what I want us to key in on. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so, so God's plan with Israel from the beginning was that I'm going to use you, this tiny, insignificant people, totally unworthy. They didn't do anything special. God made them special. I'm going to use you, and you are going to be the blessing to all the nations, right? Like salvation is going to come through you. So, so it's easy to come into Romans 11 here uh, or anywhere in Romans and, and see, oh, God chose Israel. Why did he do that? But, but there's, there's, there's often context, right? Um, there's often context that, that we can look for. Um, another weird thing, verse 25, it talks about God hardening Israel's heart. Why would God do that? That's, it, it's so hard to, to read that. And then um, after that, in verse 25, and I'll just read it, it says, uh, this is the second half of 25 there, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Then it says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, right? Until, until, until the, the full number of Gentiles is saved. And then it goes on to say that he's going to remove that hardening. It's like, God, what are you doing here? Then verse 32, and you don't need to pull it up, Alex, but he says, for God has consigned all to disobedience. There's just hard things. It, it, as Gary's been walking us through Romans 11, it, it, you know, he told us that, that, uh, that God's using the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Right? And it sounds like some twisted like teenage drama. Like someone breaks up with someone, and then I'm going to go date this other person to make you jealous. No offense, teenagers, or anyone else that's done that. Um, so so we, come, we come to Scripture, and... And sometimes there's just hard stuff, stuff that does not, doesn't sit right. And, and I just want to give you two things to keep in mind. Um, one is to trust God, right? When, when, we, when we read God's word and we come across something hard, let's trust God, okay? So I've, I've been walking with Jesus for a couple decades now, and some of you have been doing it for like, I almost said 60 decades. That would be amazing. Six decades, not 60. Um, and I'm not, I'm not bragging about where I am. I'm just saying I, I've, been, it, I've been doing this for a little while. And, and, and there are certainly times where it's hard for me to trust God. But one that's getting less and less hard is when I come to his word and I read something that is hard. And, and I'm just able to go, okay, God, I know you're good. 
I, I know you're just, I know you're sovereign. I mean, I can go through the list. Like, I believe those things, Lord. So, so the first thing, when we come to Scripture and we read something hard, let, let's trust God. Let's trust that he actually knows what he's doing. A second thing, um, so uh, you're probably familiar, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? Um, I, I think a lot of us are probably good with loving, loving him with our heart. We're super passionate. Um, we love him with our strength. We work hard. We try so hard to follow Jesus. I think some of us, including myself, are lazy when it comes to loving God with our mind, right? We, we, don't, we don't search the scriptures. We don't we don't give him the chance to show us what he has already revealed through his word. So like I walked you through, why, why, why does God have a special possession? Well, there's a purpose for that, and that purpose is awesome. It's so that everyone could be saved, right? So that everyone would have the chance to hear about Jesus and, and be saved. There are times, though, when we read scripture and there's something hard that we maybe don't like, and you can search and search and search and not figure out why God does it that way. And it's because he hasn't revealed it to us, right? We're on a need-to-know basis, and we don't need to know sometimes. God just says, this is it, right? There's, there's a quote that I've probably shared too many times, but I love it. J. Vernon McGee, this old, old pastor. Well, he's dead now. Long-time old pastor. His voice on the radio is so adorable um, as he got older. But anyway, he, he said... Um, he said, God made the universe, and he does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. And that's cute, right? It's a cute little saying. It's helpful to me. But, but, but it's true, right? Like God, he does it his way. He's in control. And back to my first thing to keep in mind is we can trust that, that God is good, that God is loving, that God knows what he's doing so much better. Praise God. Praise the Lord that none of us are in charge, right? That, that he, he actually is in charge. So over and over again, as a Christ follower, we're, we're confronted with the question, do, do you actually trust God, right? Do you trust God, not just through the, the happy moments in Scripture, but through the hard stuff too? Are you going to trust that, that he is good, that he is wise, that he's sovereign, that he's loving? <sighs> okay, so... Um, I'm not going to go through verse by verse like I normally do, like Gary normally does. We're going to kind of be all over the place um, just because I think it, it, it works better for this, this message. Uh, but, but God is in control. Um, he is, he's working out his plan, and it's an intricate masterpiece, his plan. Um, and he, he will make it happen. Okay? Um, I think sometimes people might feel like God is, is like the Wizard of Oz. Right? I don't know if you remember that movie, but the guy's behind the curtain. He's kind of in control, but he's definitely flying by the seat of his pants um, and, and, and making up things as he, he goes. But it is so important for us to realize that, that God is in control. And in that sentence, though it's not said, it's implied, if God is in control, you are not in control. Right? Again, praise God for that. Verse 25 it says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, right? So he doesn't want us to be proud. Paul doesn't want us to be proud Gentiles because we, we have access to God because the gospel has come to us. Um, and he says, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. When, when Paul says mystery, it, it means something that was previously not made known, okay? So you didn't know this before. I'm revealing this to you. And he's talking about um, 
the, the Israel, the hardening of Israel's hearts. That opened the door to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles could be saved. And like I said earlier, and Gary walked us through this the last few weeks, uh, that, that God was using the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. And all, there's all this back and forth because God is, is working out what he is going to do. So he says, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And it says, and in this way, Israel will be saved. As it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So God chooses Israel. Um, he, he's going he's gonna to use them. He wants to use them to bless all the nations. Israel rebelled. And it's not like they just rebelled once. They rebel over and over again. And God gives them chance after chance. And he says, I harden their hearts. Um, but we've got to remember, and Gary's explained this, that through, through Israel's history, there's always been this, even, even when there's this rebellion and the hardening of hearts, there's this remnant that tracks through their history, this remnant of people that, that believe and are saved. Okay, he, he does that and he says, he says that he'll continue to do that. There's, there's, there are Jews, there, there will always be Jews that, that, that come to trust and know Jesus, right? He, he's going to do this remnant. So God uses this hardening, though, to open the door for the Gentiles. And Gary's gone over that, so I'm not going to go over that again. But it's so weird that he, even this, even the hardening, to open the door for the Gentiles, at the same time, he's making Israel jealous. So my son Hudson is three years old. He's awesome. Um, and he's feisty, just like my wife. <laughs> um, she's really feisty. Um, so Hudson, he's got two cousins that are within, one's three months older, boy, Calvin. Or no, Calvin's, I don't know, he's older. Um, and then the other one, Byron. Byron's three months older, Calvin's six months older. So Calvin was at our house recently. They live up in Seattle, but they're here for a bit. Um, and they're playing with Hudson's toys, right? And Hudson's got whatever toy, his Legos, right? And then Calvin's got his... He's got Hudson's truck. Now, as soon as Hudson realizes that Calvin has his truck, Hudson realizes how awesome that truck is. And Hudson freaks out, and he takes it. Calvin's a really nice kid, pretty passive, so Calvin lets him. Then Calvin moves on to another toy, right? I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. We'll say it's a, a sword. <laughs> then Hudson realizes how awesome that sword is, and he wants it, and he takes it, and we're working with him on that. But... Uh, but God uses the, the Gentiles, and his grace, the, the Gentiles get to know the, the truth uh, about God, get, get to be saved, right? But God's using that at the same time to entice Israel to say, hey, no, this is so good. This is your inheritance that you have given up. Um, so verse 26, when it says, uh, sorry, the end of 25, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So there's... This is weird, at least to me. There's a certain number of people that are going to be saved, right? There's a certain number of non-Jews that are going to accept Christ. And there's something in us, or at least in me and some others I talked to this week, that we don't like that, right? But of course there's a certain number, right? Just like there's a certain number of hairs on my head or a certain number of, of grains of sand, there is a number, right? And it would be pretty silly to think that God doesn't know what that number is, okay? So when that comes, right, when, when, whatever that number is, that's going to happen. And then God's removing this partial hardening of Israel, um, of their hearts. And, and it says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. 
So, what in the world does that mean that all Israel will be saved? Um, there are some different ideas uh, that um, multiple that are even biblical um, that, that fit, I think. Um, but but the one that makes the most sense is that a massive amount of Jewish people in a future time in history are going to respond to Jesus, that God is going to remove that hardness, and there's going to be a ton of Jewish people um, that respond. So, so it says all. Does that mean every single one? No, prob- probably not. Um, just like, uh, did anybody go to the football game Friday, Camus, right? 56 nothing, kind of a big deal. Uh, really, is that all that went? Because it felt like the whole town was there, right? And in fact, I'm sure people walked away, like marveling at how full it was, and said, man, all of Camus came to the game tonight. Because it, it was, it was a massive amount. Like they have extra stands out this year, like on the track, because there are so many people that come to the game. So, so when you say, oh yeah, everyone was at the game, is that true? Well, no, it wasn't every single person. There were people that, that were not there but a massive amount of people were at that game. So, so when he says that all Israel will be saved, we don't know how many, um, but, but a, a massive amount of Jews are going to turn to Jesus. Um, God is masterful at orchestrating his plan. I don't know uh, about you, but sometimes I look back on my life and, and I realize that God has orchestrated events and relationships to accomplish what he was doing, right? Do you do that? Do you ever, do you ever just look back at these things that seem like just chance, just random, um, and, and you realize, like, man, God, you did all of that, right? So um, I know my own story the best, so I'll just tell you part of that. Um, how I ended up here sometimes just trips me out, right? Um, so I'm going to take it back to my freshman year of college, okay? I uh, went to Multnomah Bible College, youth ministry major. (laughs) There we go. Someone that doesn't go there yet but is going to. (laughs) You will love it. You'll be blessed. Um, Anyway, so week two of classes, right? I am a shy person. I get up here and do this because, like, that's my job. But I'm shy. Like, if I don't know most of the room, I'm shy. Uh, So I'm a freshman in class, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm scared. And uh, like the second full week of class, it's eight in the morning. I'm tired. Honestly, wasn't the best class ever. I'm sitting in the back row. And this guy named Aaron Keller sits down next to me. Never spoken to him before. And he said, we have every class together. And that was the beginning of our friendship. <laughs> the terrible opening line. It's a good thing I wasn't a girl. He never would have landed me. Um, so... That started, like, he's one of my best friends, right? We did everything together. I actually took almost every single class at Multnomah with him. So fast forward, uh, we graduate, right? Both youth ministry majors, both, both applying to churches. I'd been interviewing at this church in Vancouver. I was like four or five, six interviews deep into the process with this church in Vancouver. I hadn't seen Aaron in a couple of weeks. We got together, asked him how he was doing, the job hunt. He said, yeah, I actually have to choose like tomorrow between one of two churches. I've got two churches that have offered me a position. I'm thinking, oh, good for you. Uh, I don't have that. And I said, I just said, hey, whichever church you don't choose, give the other one my name. Right. So he does that. Long story short, that's the church that I end up working at right in Portland, Southeast Portland, Trinity Fellowship. Okay, At Trinity Fellowship is where I meet Sherry and Debbie. Right. 
fast forward, eventually I, I leave Trinity because I'm in seminary. Um, I'm, uh, I'm paying for seminary through real estate. Um, the market crashes, right? I, I, I stopped making money because the market crashes. I went, I think, nine months without making a dime. Um, man, that is rough. That is, a, that is a hit on the ego. I'm not doing well. Um, I, uh, I'm desperate for, for a way to make money for my family. I don't know how we're going to keep our house. On and on it goes. I'm showing this couple probably the 50th house I've shown them. And I know they're not going to buy this house, right? And we're driving to the next one. And I get a phone call, and I think it's a realtor that's going to tell me, you can't come see this house or something terrible like that. It's actually Debbie Schmouts on the phone. Debbie says, hey, Greg, do you know anyone that wants to be a part-time interim youth pastor at our church, Harvest Community Church? I forgot to mention that I moved like two years before, like two blocks from here. Um, so Debbie's saying that. I think she's asking if I know like some college person at Multnomah that will do it. And I say, I don't know anyone, but I might be interested. <laughs> Meaning, yeah, I really want the job. Um, anyway, I end up here. It's supposed to be for a year as a part-time thing. God weaves my heart with these people. It's crazy, right? So, so I say all that. I'm like, God, how did you do all of that, right? Okay, so Matt Eldridge. Okay, so I meet his parents at Trinity, that last church I worked at, right? His parents were good to me, which makes it sound like I'm in the mafia or something. <laughs> I liked his parents. That's all I meant. Um, so, so years later, his mom says, Hey, could my son, who I knew Matt, but I didn't know him well, could my son come be a counselor at camp with you? And again, I'm thinking, Oh yeah, I love Jeff and Mindy Eldridge. Sure. So Matt comes, right? Matt is here because I was there, right? At, at our church, I almost said eternity at harvest. Like Matt's a huge blessing to us. Okay. He's a huge blessing to young life. And I don't know if we've told this story. So I'm at a Christmas party that I don't want to be at right? Because remember, I don't really like talking to people unless I know most of the room. So I'm at a Christmas party. I don't want to be at because my wife is friends with people throwing the party. I'm standing there next to a person I've known for probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years. He's a nice guy, Kyle Orr, for those young life people. And, uh, and it's not that I don't want to talk to him, but I kind of don't. But we're, <laughs> we're talking. I'm not too happy that I'm there. And we start talking about young life. I'm like, okay, I can talk ministry. Let's do it. And he starts talking to me about church partnership and something I'd never heard of with Young Life. And, he, and I'm like, oh, what does that mean? And he, he describes what it would look like for a, a person at your church to work with Young Life. And I'm like, oh, I think I know someone that might like that, Matt Eldridge. Bam, Matt Eldridge. Like, they had 85 kids at Young Life this last month. Like, just Woo! crazy. I mean, dozens and dozens of kids that, they're coming to know Jesus because I was at a Christmas party, right? Like, no, God, God did that. Anyway, I could go on and on and on. But God is a master at, at working out his plan, right? Um, this is going to seem ridiculous, but have you ever been on a tour of the mill, right? Or the paper makers, if you didn't know. Uh, the mill, it is awesome. It's incredible, okay? They make toilet paper there. Uh we take toilet paper for granted. I'm not going to go into that, but we take it for granted. You go take the tour, and you realize what it takes to make toilet paper, and your mind is blown, right? So if, if something that simple can be that incredible, and I hope that every time you see toilet paper, you think about how awesome God is from now on. That would be great. But so you look at, 
you look at what God does, and it is it is amazing, right? When, when God weaves things together, it's absolutely incredible. And when we get a glimpse of that, and that's all Paul's doing here, he is giving us a blink of an eye, right? He's giving us a little glimpse of what's happening, right? So there's going to be a day when a massive amount of Jewish people give their heart to Jesus, okay? And, and, and it, it's probably at the second coming. If you want verses that I can back that up with, I'll give those to you later. Gary believes it's at the second coming. John Piper believes it's at the second coming, so I feel good lumping myself with those two. Um, so, so there's going to be a day when a ton of Jewish people, right? And there, I looked it up, I Googled it. There's somewhere between 14 and 15 million Jews alive today, right? I don't know what all means, except that it's a massive number. Can you imagine what that'll be like for that many people at once to turn to Jesus? It will be absolutely incredible. And it's because God orchestrated it that way. Verse 29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, right? But God when he says he's going to do something, when it's in his plan, he will make it happen, okay? And, and there's all this language in this passage that we can't get into. He's going to do this. He will do this. So uh, we can trust God when he says he's going to do something, right? We can absolutely trust that God will do what he promises, okay? God... Um, it's God that's saving Israel, right? It's God that saves us. Uh, when, when someone responds to the gospel, it's always an act of God revealing. It's always God removing the blinders and saving them. It's God opening up his mercy to us. Let's skip down to verse 32. It says, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on them all. And this is a verse that if you just look at that, you're like, what, what is going on here? God consigned, which could mean imprisoned, it could mean trapped, shut in. God consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on us all. Let's go back to verses 30 and 31. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy, right? So God's using all that disobedience, right? And our sin, it entangles us, it traps us, we're stuck. God's using all that disobedience, Israel's disobedience, Gentiles' disobedience, in order to bring mercy. It's absolutely incredible. None of us could come up with that plan. It doesn't even actually sound like it could work, but God says that he, he's doing that, right? So God, he consigns us all to disobedience, and, and that maybe reminds you of Romans 3.23. says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? That's, that's everyone who has ever lived. And, and thank God that that in our sin, and maybe remember back to before you knew Jesus, right? you, you feel stuck. Like you come to a point where you realize this isn't working. And, and maybe you can't even figure out why, but God is so gracious that, that our sin wraps us up and tangles us and shows us that the system that we are trying to live in does not work and that we need God's mercy. So verse 32 is, is where we're landing. He says that he may have mercy on all. First uh, Peter uh, 2.4 says that, that Jesus, that God desires all people to be saved. right? All people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Like That's God's heart. And I think there are people 
uh, that think that God just wants to pour out this wrath. Like, no, God wants to save, right? We need God to to save us. Um, as a parent, uh, actually, just just last night, um, we, we just had a hard hard moment with our middle child, our daughter. Um, it, you know, and I sent her to her room. I mean, it was not going well. I'm not saying I did a good job. Neither of us are probably doing a good job. I sent her to her room. It didn't bring me joy to send her to her room, right? I didn't love pouring out my wrath that way on her. There are times when it does feel pretty good to say go to your room, <laughs> right? I'm not saying I've never felt that. There's one time I removed her door from her bedroom, and that felt pretty good too. You need context to that. You can ask me later. Um, so... It, it 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 doesn't feel good though to to pour out my my wrath. I mean, I use wrath very loosely there. Um, what what's great is uh, my daughter. She loves to cuddle. Like if I let her, she would skip school every day and just cuddle with me. And if I could get paid to do that somehow, I'd probably go for it. Right? It is awesome. Just being with my kids, like being in that relationship. Right? Man, God God's not just longing to punish, right? He's longing to give mercy, right? Now, if we won't receive it, now, yes, there's just punishment that is coming, but, but his heart is for us to receive mercy. And Matt and I were talking uh, about mercy and just how hard it is to wrap our minds around it, you know, how hard it is to, um, to just grasp. I know there are, there are moments where I, I get mercy, um, but we just don't, I don't know if it's that we don't see pictures of it much in our lives um like even even in court right like if if someone has to go to court for something they're arguing about why they don't deserve to be there like yeah sometimes people obviously just admit their guilt and they're throwing themselves in the mercy of the court but but we just don't have a, a ton of great pictures about mercy um there's a story i want to tell you that i think is an absolutely incredible picture um takes place in South Africa. Um, this, uh, this, there's a frail old black woman um, in her home, and it's just her, her husband, and their son. Um, and one day, this white guy breaks in with some other white guys, takes the son, shoots him point-blank range, and, and then burns his body, okay? So now mom and dad have to live with that pain. The, the fear of, of your home not being safe and the loss of your son being brutally murdered. So time goes on. And then one day, mom and dad are in the house, and this guy breaks in again. And takes the husband, takes him away, and he doesn't get caught. And the woman has no clue where her husband is. There's no no body shows up, nothing. Days pass, weeks pass, months pass, and she has no idea what happened to her husband. Until one day, she gets kidnapped. And she's taken to this river where she sees her husband bound, um, brutally beaten. This is like two years later. Um, 
and he's on a pile of wood. And as, uh, as this guy pours gasoline on her husband's body, he's still alive. He, he says, forgive them, Father. And then they burn him. Okay, so fast forward. Oh, and, and she, they dump her somewhere, let her go. These guys finally get caught, and they go to court. And um, th- this guy, Mr. Vanderbrook, he's, uh, he's been tried and, and implicated in the murders of, of the son and the husband. Um, and a member of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission turns to her and asks this woman, so what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who so brutally destroyed your family? And she said, I want three things. One, I, I, want, I want to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. And then she says, my husband and my son were my only family. I don't have anyone else. So secondly, I want Mr. Vanderbrook to become my son. I want him to come and visit me a couple times a month. I don't have anyone to help me grocery shop anymore. There's all all kinds of things my son and my husband used to do for me. I want him to do those things now. I want to pour out my love on him, the remaining love that I have. And then she said, thirdly, I'd like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive me. This is the wish of my husband. So I'd kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so I can take Mr. Vanderbrook into my arms and embrace him and let him know that he's truly forgiven. So I heard that story, and I had a very strong emotional reaction. Um, and I, it, like Immediately a few things jumped into my head. One, I thought that story cannot be true. There's, it is inconceivable that someone could have the capacity to show mercy that way to someone else that had so greatly offended them over and over again. That was my first thought. My second thought when I heard the thing about the grocery shopping, in my head I said, don't be an idiot. This guy has hurt you over and over again. The time for second chances is over. You are a fool to give him access to yourself like that. And then the third thought that I had is, man, I wish that that could be true. I wish that there could be someone that actually loves like that, that there could be mercy and forgiveness when there's such a great offense. I I think that the story is true. Like I tried to vet it out. I really think it is true. Um, But whether the story is true or not, there's a greater story of God, right? (laughs) It's unbelievable I thought those things. And then it hit me like a brick wall. That's exactly what God has done for us. Like his mercy for us is ridiculous. It, it, it is, I mean, it's scandalous that Jesus would come so recklessly and love us in that way, that he would die for us in that way. Like it'd be one thing, like I prayed earlier, like if God just pardoned my sin and said I was forgiven, but, but he doesn't do that. He makes me his son. And it's, it's absolutely crazy. I'm going to have the band uh, come up, and we're, we're going to sing. So, um, so the woman in the courtroom says those things, and then um, 
she says that, that last thing that she wants to come over and hug him. And, and as, as she's on the way over, the, the, the court aides helping her over, the guy responds by fainting because he cannot believe that that could be true, that that just happened. He knows he does not deserve that. And, and man, what is our response to God's mercy? Right, we're going to sing in a moment here um, to respond. And, and let's not let these words be light that we're singing. Um, let, let's, let's really soak these in. And maybe that means you don't sing. I, I don't know. But um, I just have a couple questions before, before we sing. Do you ever get jaded to God's mercy? Do we, do we just forget how incredible God's mercy is? Or maybe you think that, that you're a lost cause, that, that you're, you, you're too messed up. There's no way that God could love you that way. There's no way that, that God could pour out mercy like that. Are you stuck in sin and you need God's mercy? Like, do you feel just so entangled and trapped that there is no hope, even though you believe that God's mercy is real, that you just can't get out? Or are, are you just stuck savoring God's mercy, realizing how incredible he is? Let's sing together.